This podcast is for entertainment and informational purposes only. Copyright disclaimer under Section 107 of the Copyright Act of 1976. Allowance is made for fair use for purposes such as criticism, comment, news reporting, teaching, scholarship, education, and research. Fair use is a use permitted by copyright statute that might otherwise be infringing. All rights and credit go directly to its rightful owners. No copyright infringement intended. Welcome to the second episode, or episode B, of My Guria. I'm your host, Jules Finley. As I said before, the show is uncensored. If you listen to the pilot, I already told you what the fuck My Guria is, so if you still don't know, go listen to the fucking pilot episode. Today, we'll be discussing various shit, mostly about music, movies, plus other shitty things that I feel like ranting on about. So get comfortable, as I hope I have made you uncomfortable by the end of the show. This is a new episode of My Guria. I'm your host, Jules Finley, and I'm, I'm in a pretty shitty mood right now. First of all, I just fucking recorded a monologue that didn't actually record because this fucking faulty software on Anchor.fm didn't capture it. Don't know fucking why. I pressed the record button. It's supposed to record. What the fuck ever. But anyhow... We're back with my Guria. This is episode B. B, I guess, is going to stand for be better than fucking last time or better do better than last bullshit I presented with because here's the fucking problem. All right. Last show, obviously I talked about music and and if you're hearing it at this point, if you're just finally fucking joining the my Guria fucking audience at this point, you probably, I don't know if you heard the first uh, take of the first episode, but it had to be edited down to fucking crap because I had to take all the music out. Why? Because apparently copyright fucking DMCA rules and fair use shit is a fucking problem when trying to podcast, especially if you're podcasting on something that's a commercial site. Now, I didn't quite fucking realize this because this is there's a lot of gray area with fucking podcasting. Now, I can do... There's plenty of shows. Listen, there's plenty of shows that do music commentary. Well, the ones that fucking can play a whole song throughout the, bro- the p- p- podcast are fucking ones that have money to pay for licensing of songs behind them. They got the financial backing. I'm just one fucking person here that's got to do it all. Yeah, I did the fucking artwork because, yeah, my gra- my my background's graphic design. Well, I don't know how much longer that's going to... F- I can fucking claim that either. But I understand 
copyright infringement issues and fair use, blah, blah, blah. I understand that within the context of graphic arts and photography. I don't fully understand it. Well, at least I didn't fully understand it when it comes to the use of music. And here's why it was confusing and why I'm rectifying this shit right off the fucking bat. Because oh, in case you guys are wondering, is this, is this show going to be full of, of tunes? Uh, the only, only tunes I'm going to be able to fucking play are royalty-free crap you hear fucking looping in the background and the, the opening track that I composed myself, which I'm not that proud of, but hey, at least I fucking did it. The only things I can fucking play are clips, and they're short clips, maybe 30 seconds or less, that are part of the Spotify library, because Spotify owns Anchor.fm. So, I gotta go by whatever the fuck they have, can't play a full song, I have to find something that's already in my, basically in my, my library of music, of the shit that I actually own, because that's, was kind of the fucking point, was to talk about shit that I own, that I'm a fan of, that I'm very, I've fucking listened to inside and out, so I fucking know it. I'm not going to talk about shit I don't fucking, I'm not going to talk about music I don't even listen to or know about, unless I'm like saying how fucking shitty it is. I got to look through what fucking Spotify has to even remotely get this in, in line, in any kind of fucking cohesion that makes sense with the existing knowledge I have. And here's the other part. Those sound clips can only be listened to on Anchor.fm. It can't be listened to on Apple Podcasts or Overcast or TuneIn or wherever the other fucking ones are that this show is on. Uh, no, in order for those songs to even be in there, you gotta listen to it through the fucking Anchor.fm app or website, one or the other. And if you don't want to listen to it through that, then I mean, what the fuck you want me to do? I'm not gonna shell out money to pay for licensing. So you turds are fucking entertained by my ranting in between songs. And probably songs you never heard before anyway. And you're probably never going to look... Knowing most of you, you probably wouldn't even go bother to buy it anyway. You'd probably just fucking stream it in your premium Pandora or whatever the fuck it is you guys listen to. Yeah, as you can tell, I'm in a fucking mood today. Because I had to fucking re-edit the other shit to get it up there. So I didn't get fucking sued. And I'm definitely not going to get sued for the means of entertaining you turds. And, and by the way, turds, why the fuck didn't any of you leave me a message? I got, I don't know how many listeners, probably 15 to 20. I mean, that's pathetic, but it's for a fucking debut with like basically uh, no, no financial backing. I'll take it. But who the hell knows if anyone's going to listen to it again after this point, after my fucking rant here. Because yeah, I am fucking pissed. But anyhow, if you uh, are thinking that the show is going to be another music heavy show and if you're one of the I guess the lucky ones who got to see or see excuse me listen to the show before I had to fucking edit it down to the piece of shit that it ended up being of last week's episode where I could only use clips and and, and the, only frame them in the context of music commentary which still isn't completely 100% kosher because then I have, if, if I ever got fucking called out on this shit I have to be like I'll have to wave the fair use flag. I'm talking music commentary. I, I I didn't know. Yeah, well, your dumbass host didn't fucking know. Now she knows. Now she ain't gonna be, at this point on, she ain't gonna be fucking around with, you know, playing music to entertain your asses. But I'll tell you another reason why this shit fucking confused me. Because, you know, back when I wasn't broadcasting, 
you know, we had the only kind of screening and clearance that we did for radio. And yes, we were not just broadcast on campus. This was this was piped out to a region. We all had to have FCC licenses. So we could bring in our own collection of music and play in certain certain instances. There was a format, but we had to play it within certain certain kind of situations. But the only clearance that we had was we had to have somebody sign off at the station to say that the song wasn't offensive or didn't have like or if you could play it and blip out the fucking bad word right when it happened if you knew the song well enough which I was pretty good with doing that because a lot of the shit we had in the library at that fucking station was just fucking shit like I mean absolute fucking like just 90s fucking shit of course we had tons of fucking promo albums of, of crap that Nobody in their fucking right mind will want to listen to unless they're the band themselves so they can be like, yeah, man, I'm in a fucking band. Listen to my shit. So, yeah, we... So the only clearance we had were... And the thing is, most, you know, radio stations use shit for promotional use. But, yeah, if people were bringing in their own music back then, that wasn't... The odds of them... and Anybody bringing in a promotional CD were pretty slim because most people back then, if they had music, it's because they fucking bought it. There wasn't... The closest thing to fucking hijacking music or downloading shit that wasn't downloading back then. This is fucking 1995. People weren't downloading things back then. At worst, you'd have somebody fucking try to bootleg a fucking fish concert. That's about the extent of copyright infringement that somebody may have in their fucking stash. And who the hell would want to listen to that fucking crap anyway? I'm sure the audio quality was so fucking superb. Anyhow, since this episode was supposed to be focused largely on the letter B and how I can't really fucking play music without some bullshit attached to it, but I guess I could discuss music and I'm allowed to play a small clip and only for Anchor listeners because if you listen to it on another platform, Apple Podcasts, tune in where the fuck you're going to find this. Yeah, uh, the Anchor format, or excuse me, the Anchor platform is only allowing small clips of music pulled from Spotify that are suitable for podcasts, that are cleared for podcasts, because Anchor's owned by Spotify, as I mentioned before. So the first song, first first band I'm going to touch on here would be The Birthday Party. Of course, I, if anyone fucking knows me, knows that I was going to definitely include The Birthday Party because I think when it comes to bands that start with B, they're by far my favorite. Fucking insanity. Just pure insanity. And yeah, anyone who knows me knows my... Of course, if you're listening to this now, you don't know this fucking history about me, but you know that I've been a fucking fan of Nick Cave since I was a teenager. The Birthday Party, I didn't know of first because you gotta understand when I got into Nick Cave was about maybe 1992 um I was 15 birthday party were long gone at that point and it wasn't like Nick Cave was something you could easily fucking find in the United States yet maybe if you were you know uh, a European kid Australian kid whatever maybe he was a fucking household name for you but let me tell you early 90s Nick Cave was like a fucking phantom in the United States most people didn't know who the hell he was if they did know who he was, it was a fucking handful of people. He rarely played here, and if he did play here, it was like fucking five cities. You know, whatever. It's probably most of the people that were even into him in the first place were probably people that were immigrants anyway. (laughs) 
funny how that that works out. Now you can't even get fucking tickets to see his show. Well, not that anybody's going to be going to see any of his shows, but yeah, it's funny how fucking things change. And I don't even know how this happened, how Nick Cave became somebody that is fantasized over by people that are like one fifth of his age writing fan fiction about him. And I'm and I mean when I'm talking fan fiction, I'm talking some fucked up shit. But you know I'm not gonna get into that. It's just too fucking gross. I can't even. I'm gagging just thinking about some of the fucking fan shit I've read online from people who are obsessed with him. And then I was obsessed with him too. You know he's a good person to draw because <laughs> he's so fucking unusual looking. Kind of looks uh, a bit crow magnet at some points. <laughs> but anyhow birthday party. Birthday party, in case you didn't know, was Nick Cave, Mick Harvey, Roland S. Howard, Tracy Pugh, and Phil Calvert. This song, this clip of the song, comes from the Mutiny Bad Seed EP, and it would be the Mutiny part that I'm going to focus on here. It's This one is called, this, this clip I want to play is Swampland, which is my favorite song by them. There's something about Swampland that resonates really well with me lately, because the song really is about being track down you know for whatever it is you did or said or some kind of thing you know something that doesn't you're hunted down because of something that you did or you said that's against the grain of whatever you know normal society is is expecting of you which is a lot like what the fuck's been going on in the world today where people can't fucking say shit without it getting blown out of proportion and i'm sure this Anyone who hears this is probably going to take it the fucking wrong way, but I find Swampland to be very uh, poignant for these current times. So here's your little clip, only for Anchor FM listeners. Anyone else, you're shit out of luck or you can go look up the song. This is the birthday party with Swampland. Thing is, I can't just... uh mention the birthday party without also mentioning the boys next door who were essentially the birthday party before they were the birthday party. Their names switched mostly when they switched continents. They went from Australia to London. The boys next door, the music, the only way I can really describe it, it actually reminded me, well, it actually kind of reminded me of the jam, but with just Nick Cave's voice singing. That's the best way I can describe what the boys next door sounded like. So if you know the jam, just imagine it without Paul Weller's voice and Nick Cave singing, but not Nick doing his low crooning stuff. He's, you know, kind of trying to sing with upbeat stuff. However, the most the most popular song, their swan song that the boys next door had before they became the birthday party was Shivers. And Shivers was written by Roland S. Howard and was sung by Nick Cave but it is not the type of shit. I wouldn't say shit. There's nothing shitty about it. It's a fucking fabulous song. It's not the typical lyrical content you would hear coming from Nick Kay, of course. I mean, this is very youthful, and he didn't have much of an established musical history at that point anyway. Shivers has become, like, an iconic Australian anthem, and it's too bad that Roland never got to see... I'm not really, I can see. I mean, he, I, I, he never got the credit he deserved for basically f- shaping the band into a fucking sound that went from a band that sounded like another band to a band that sounded like nobody else. So 
Here's the boys next door's short clip, only for Anchor FM listeners of Shivers. Anyone else can go look for the song. You could probably find it on YouTube. Yes, and like before, last week, I'm going to continue with the uh, dirty joke segment. Here we go. What do you get when you cross the three little pigs and coronavirus? Give up. You get one dead wolf. In the last episode, I uh, covered a review of a film that I had recently watched, and I noted that I only tend to watch maybe one movie a week. Well, for whatever fucking reason, I actually watched three films this week, and I will give a short review, or at least try to fucking sum it up in some kind of cohesive package for any of you if you have any interest in just seeking these out. They couldn't have been more different from one another. The first one I watched was a film called The Sender from 1982. It was a British horror film. The main character in it, I only recognized him and I didn't realize where I recognized him from, but his name is Zielko Ivanek, and I'm probably pronouncing that shit wrong. Sorry, dude. I've seen him more as a character actor, usually playing a dickhead, like on Law & Order, but he's been on shows like, I know he was definitely on, I'm pretty sure he was on Homicide, show that was on actually I think that predated Law and Order. That show had uh, Richard Belzer on it. It was based around Baltimore before The Wire. I remember him being on that show too. Anyhow, he's really fucking young in this film. I think this might have been his first movie. He's this kid who just you know, he's found kind of like on the side of the road or I wouldn't really say he's found. He wakes up on the side of the road and there's like traffic going by. He looks lost, he looks kind of, like, disheveled, doesn't really know what the fuck's going on. So he, like, kind of walks down the road. You don't really know where this is heading right away, but this is, this all goes on before the credits roll. He walks to a nearby, kind of, like, state park lake where people are picnicking, and he starts picking up rocks and stuffing them in his jacket, and then just walks into the water over his head with the the attempt of suicide. That's how the movie starts, and you're like thinking, fuck, where the hell is this going? Well, he ends up, like, in a state mental institution because he apparently has amnesia and does not know who the hell he is and can't remember any details of his life. Just that he has a house sort of nearby, but he doesn't have a father. That's He doesn't have any identification. So he's designated as uh, patient uh, John Doe 83. And there's this uh, female psychiatrist doctor who... You know, takes note, she's kind of put, he's put under her care and she kind of notices that, you know, he's sort of, he's definitely acting odd, but can't quite figure out what's going on with him. So, you know, later that night she goes home and she hears like what sounds like somebody breaking into her house. She sees him, but he's not really there. That's the, that's the whole thing. This guy has some sort of like telekinesis or telepathy where he can, um, sort of just show up at places through his dreams. That's the other thing, because he's having dreams about this shit happening. He dreams that he ends up in other places, and then something fucked up happens. 
and she's for first thing you know she calls the after calling the police she calls the, the place where she works the psych ward make sure that you know reports that he's he's gotten out and they're like no he's in his bed sleeping so as time goes on she starts to starts to figure out i mean all this weird fucking shit keeps happening every time this guy goes to sleep basically it's like he's projecting his hallucinations onto other people without any like real control over it there's like you know a lot of it's it's got that you know came out in 1982 you know early 80s it's got that early 80s late 70s sort of feel feel to it where it's you know very psychologically you know there's like suspense you know, you know when there was an actual fucking time when, when they they actually made films with a fucking plot in them so it has all that going for it and I definitely see some kind of parallels to shit like Carrie and um, some other film. What the fuck was it called? The Fury? Um, I believe, like, Kirk Douglas was in that one. Where it's like this sort of, like, teenager telekinesis issue. But this is its own story. It doesn't, like, just... It's not like this uh, kid is seeking revenge on people. It's more like he has he has this power he can't really contain. And he's not really you know, trying to throw, he's not trying to push it or use it as a tool to get what he wants, which is why they refer to him as the sender. It's more like he sends his, uh, his whatever the fuck's going on in his crazy head onto other people or so other people can feel his pain, but he doesn't do it like, he doesn't do it with uh, malice. He doesn't do it with like a vengeance behind him. He's afraid to go to sleep because he knows bad shit's gonna happen so this kid's like you know fucking exhausted throughout and um without giving away the whole plot there is some kind of twist in it that has some parallels to you know like psycho with norman bates and his uh strange relationship with his mother there's definitely some kind of oedipus complex shit going on in this one but do i recommend it yeah it was pretty fucking good it was it was something i had, I mean, yeah, I'm comparing it to some other films because there are some similarities in the phenomena that's going on in it. But I can't, I can't really say it's, you know, it's not, oh, this is just a fucking ripoff of blah, blah, blah. No, it's not because it's its own story. The acting was, especially by the, the guy, the main character, was, was actually really well done. I didn't, like I said, I didn't really recognize anybody else in it. However, if you are interested in some psychological horror from the early 80s yeah there is some gore in it but it's all hallucinations except for like maybe one scene that actually isn't there is a surgery scene in it that's pretty fucking gross overall it's not too gory it's mostly it definitely mostly is a a suspenseful film and it's not quite clear right away where it's going and i'm not going to tell you how it ends in case you want to see it, I saw it's on Amazon Prime right now, so I don't know how long it's going to be available for, so check that one out if you're so inclined. Anyhow, as far as let's 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 let the music play. Um, the next B we're going to focus on would be Jane B, also known as Jane Birkin. I'm actually going to play something of hers post years of, of her fantastic discography with Serge Gainsbourg but you know what since she's you know since Serge's passing she actually has put out some really good albums on I mean I know probably other people are writing the songs for or whatever but I've quite enjoyed what she's done since 
since she has, I mean, a lot of stuff she has been doing has been uh, revisiting Serge's lengthy history of music. But she's done some really good stuff, I feel, on her own, and um, I, which I've quite enjoyed. And I got to see Jane, which is un fucking heard of, honestly, in Cleveland of all places. Back in around I think 2004 or 5 I'm thinking 2004-ish maybe late 2004, I don't know I found out that Jane was doing a show with the um, Cleveland Museum of Arts Performing Arts Series that they called the Viva Gala Art Series the, the, like a year later I was hired to photograph the series, so that must have been 2006, I you know, like I said, like, I can't remember if it was a year or two in between. That doesn't fucking matter. But anyhow, I saw Jane perform and she had, they, she did all renditions of Gainsbourg's music and she had um, all the music done with a, like an Arabic band behind her, you know, done in like sort of a Middle Eastern style of music, if you know, if you want to call it that. Fucking amazing performance. Just phenomenal. Like, I'm, I'm still surprised I, I got to see that show. Because that's not something that fucking plays in Cleveland. That's something that barely plays outside of Europe. So that's when shows were still... When I first moved to Cleveland, it wasn't that fucking bad. It got shitty probably within two to three years. And I've been stuck in fucking Ohio since then. But anyhow, I saw Jane Birkin and she was fucking exquisite. Clip I'm going to play, another short clip because I can't play a whole fucking song is from her 2004 album Rendezvous and it is a cover and it actually is a duet but you're not going to hear the duet part because of the clip but I strongly encourage you to seek it out if you give a shit this is a cover she did of um, In Every Dream Home There Is Heartache by uh, Roxy Music and Brian Ferry does the duet with her they switch on and off lyrical passages in it so this is Jane Birkin with In Every Dream Home There Is Heartache from Rendezvous, 2004. Enjoy. And this episode's shitty job is, it comes from, I will just say, I can, I can say the area because I'm going to have to touch on the area a bit here too, from Westlake, Ohio. Now, Westlake, Ohio is an affluent suburb outside of Cleveland, and it is full of a lot of fucking uppity assholes. I, I should know. I've spent enough time in Westlake. I worked in Westlake. I've shopped in Westlake. Every time I'm in Westlake, I want to fucking kill somebody because they're usually the biggest fucking asshole. You know, just they think that their fucking world revolves around them. And all it is is just another manufactured fucking gated communities kind of place. This job here, I couldn't even fucking believe what I was reading. This says that the job title is Household and Personal Assistant. So you'd be working for a private household. So anyhow, this job title, Household and Personal Assistant. You're working for a private household in Westlake, Ohio. Right off the bat, this job says it requires a master's degree, which I just about puked in my mouth when I saw that. I'm like, a master's degree for... What, being fucking Charles in charge and um, fucking Mrs. Goodfire? Or what was that, was that movie that fucking Rob Williams was in with the... This is Doubtfire, that's what it was. Basically a fucking butler. I don't know. Anyhow, this is what it says. Well, I'll get to the salary and the... Salary at the end because it, you couldn't pay anyone enough to put up with this kind of bullshit. Alright, job description. Please note, a cover letter is required. Those without one will not be considered. Aww. 
This role is in person at the family's home. Slave. Do you have life experience that includes managing a household or project management experience? Do you want to use that experience to help a thriving, busy family create balance? Are you a master of tasks? Do you love domestic and household responsibilities like shopping, errands, meal prep, and organizing? Do you enjoy animals? We are a very small but very busy family of three needing extra support and care around our household and personal tasks. We are kind, funny, joyful, emotionally healthy state and stable, yep, right, and welcoming. Our daughter is 11 and is very curious, friendly, outgoing, no childcare required, fucking brat. We have a cat as well as a small hypoallergenic dog who might need the occasional walk around the neighborhood dropping off at the groomers or doggy daycare. We offer flexible schedule, rewarding work. You will you will help us maintain balance and precious family time. That That's what they offer, okay. <laughs> There's more to this. More about the role. The main goal of this role is to save us time so we can focus on other priorities. We work from home and are a very business, very busy business. Oh, pardon me. We are very business focused during uh, during office hours. Gee, I wonder who the fuck. What I wonder, you know, most people who are working and no matter where you're fucking working from. Gee, that's odd. Being busy during office hours. Who would have thunk? We need a here we go. We need a rock star, master of tasks, and a problem solver who can take on the everyday management of our home and errands. We would like accuracy and efficiency to shine through your work. This is unfucking real. Types of tasks can include, but are not limited to. That should be emphasized. Grocery shopping, meal prep, meal planning, miscellaneous errands, light cleaning such as dishes, wiping counters, picking up, cleaning fridge, etc. Laundry and minimal ironing. Really? Ironing? <laughs> Car maintenance management. Household maintenance coordination, research schedule, and meet with contractors. Oversee the work to be sure that it's getting completed as promised. Research slash project work. I did say this needed a master's degree in the beginning, right? I did mention that? Yeah, okay. Tools you will use. It is helpful to be familiar with these, but willing to train the ideal candidate in these systems. Slack. Wonderlist, Todoist, or other list management tool, and Trello. If you don't know what those are, those are more web-oriented things, like something like fucking Slack, Wonderlist, Todoist, Trello. These are all on, like online tools to for like kind of like task lists to share, and almost kind of like a virtual work environment. If you are in the same fucking place is the if they are such like you know work at home which i'm sure they'll fucking micromanage every goddamn move whoever the hell they whoever whatever sucker takes this job so knowing they want this person to know slack trello wonderless one of those fucking web-based cloud list keeping systems where so what they can type in their fucking little list of or not list not a little list looks like it's gonna be a fucking laundry list of shit this person has to run around and do for them so they can tick it off and they don't actually have to talk to the person they can just check into their little cloud-based environment to see if their uh fucking house slave you know went and got their fucking uh picked up the mail or you know clean up the dog shit outside you know you have to have like task management software to do such things these people are on fucking real they're just fucking monsters you can just tell there's more here 
We want to meet you because you have these experiences and qualifications and skills. Experience in customer service is a huge plus. Experience in project management is also a huge plus. Excel at follow through and notice the details that need attention. Excellent written and verbal communication. Ability to pick up new technology quickly and intuitively. Highly organized and efficient. Ability to work independently and take initiative. Be self-directed and self-motivated. <laughs> Easy to reach and be responsive during normal business hours. Oh, here's this last one. No major life drama or illnesses that would hinder consistent and stable re reliability. So in other words, they're saying right up front, hey, if you've got a fucking disability, fuck you. <laughs> These people are unfucking believable We prefer part-time hours. Our, deal, our ideal schedule is Monday from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m., Wednesday from 12 to 4 p.m., and Friday anytime but for three hours total. I mean, Jesus Christ. And we'd like you to be on call 24 hours. You got to be fucking kidding me. If you feel you are a great fit, then please submit your resume and cover letter. In your cover letter, please introduce yourself, tell us your preferred availability to, to work, and tell us about one thing in our post that caught your eye and why. <laughs> Holy shit. Should I apply? Fuck no. And then they have some little disclaimer here. It says they provide equal opportunity, equal oppor equal employment opportunities (EEO) to all employees and applicants for employment without, without regard to race, color, religion, sex, national origin, age, disability, or genetics. They just fucking said like two paragraphs back. If you have an illness, and most likely if you have an illness that is disabling, you may just have a disability. So they're already so fucking full of shit that it's unbelievable. There's more here. In addition to addition to federal law requirements, they have like some kind of company name here, which I've never heard of. And I'm not going to give the name away because, you know, fuck them. I don't even want to give them any press. I, I just want to make fun of this shit. Blah Blah Company complies with applicable state and local laws governing non-discrimination in employment in every location in which the company has facilities. I thought this was a fucking personal household. Okay, this policy applies to all terms and conditions of employment, including recruiting, hiring, placement, promotion, termination, layoff, recall, transfer, leaves of absence, compensation, and training. <sighs> Whatever. Okay, it says part-time. The pay, $11 an hour. Yeah. To basically wipe the asses of a fucking family that don't know how to take care of normal family shit within their fucking household. You know, they say that they have one kid. 11 years old, so you're not talking like a fucking baby. They didn't mention anything about the kid being, you know, maybe... They said no childcare involved. I guess they probably already have a fucking au pair or a fucking nanny rolled up in that job because it doesn't sound like these people are fucking taking responsibility for any of their actions. So, if they're working from home, as they say they are, there's no commute for them. They can fucking clean their own goddamn house. They can run their own fucking errands. They can do all the shit that every other normal fucking person does. They're just too fucking lazy to do it, and they think they're above doing normal shit for people. I just... this... Oh yeah, last thing. You need your own car that can be used for errands. Oh what, they, so they cannot pay you for the fucking mileage used and the gas in your car? So you can run around and get their shit for them? Jesus Christ, people. You basically want someone who works for fucking DoorDash as a, as a fucking... As, as your slave employee. 
just fucking order through DoorDash if you don't want to make your own food and hire fucking merry maids or whatever to fucking clean up after your filthy asses. It's ridiculous. All right, that's the shitty job of the week or shitty job of this episode. Hope you enjoy and I hope you don't apply. And back on to the uh, music segments as short and sweet as they're going to be. The next B artist I'm going to focus in on this is synth pop trio out of England. One of them was from Scotland, Glasgow to be exact. They were a very... Okay, let me just put it this way. They were definitely one of the first bands that were openly gay and did not give a fuck. Did not give a fuck. Did not hide it. Just didn't give a shit. Bronski Beat, that's who we're going to focus on here. And you may know them from the song Small Town Boy. Possibly Why is another one that you might know and Hit That Perfect Beat. Those were their three most popular songs. Their original singer was Jimmy Somerville, who I, who I was saying is from Glasgow, as well as Steve Bronski and Larry Steinbeck, Backett, Bashett, back, back, I can't pronounce his last name. Sorry, dude. Jimmy Somerville has probably one of the most unique falsettos I've ever heard on a human. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to play a song off their first album, Age of Consent. This is, it ain't necessarily so. Sorry, it's just a clip because of Anchor's rules. But if you want to check it out further, you can always do your own fucking research. I don't have to spell it out for you. So this is from 1984, Age of Consent album. Bronski beat ain't necessarily so. Alright, the next B I'm going to be focusing on here is a band that I I discovered by accident. I mean, by complete accident. Back in uh, 95, after I had uh, got out of um, the program with the fucking radio TV shit, I worked in a record store for, I don't know, a year and a half or so. And um, I was... Uh, kind of put in charge, I guess, of the promotional shit that came in. And, you know, I was given the task of um, making the fucking front window look good with posters and shit and hanging up the crap around the store so it didn't look, you know, pathetic. So we'd get boxes of CDs uh, from, you know, the record labels that would, you know, mark promotional or whatever. And one that we got was this group that I didn't know who the fuck they were. They looked like they could have been like, I don't know, some kind of Beastie Boys knockoff. And no, I'm not fucking playing the Beastie Boys. Fuck that. I can't fucking stand them. I don't care how you feel about it. I just no. I've heard I heard of I've heard that shit enough in my fucking lifetime that makes me grind my teeth when I hear it. So now the other group I'm gonna be playing here is the Bloodhound Gang. And no, I'm not gonna play the Bloodhound Gang song that they made, you know, that they end up being popular with in the late 90s. Not, not Fire, Water, Burn, not The Bad Touch. No. This is uh, from their 1995 album called Use Your Fingers. This fucking album is so... It, you could not get away with this kind of fucking humor now. You just couldn't. It's, it's probably why they're not a band anymore, because their humor would not... They would be fucking just filleted verbally on social media, so from what I understand, they're no longer a band. Maybe they still are, but it doesn't appear to be. This is the Bloodhound Gang from 95's Use Your Fingers. This is She Ain't Got No Legs. And again, you're only hearing a clip of it. If you want to hear more of this 
fucking unbelievable song. I'm sure you could find it somewhere on the internet. So this is the Blood on Gang with She Ain't Got No Legs. The second film I caught this week couldn't be more fucking different on so many... This this one I can't even believe was a movie, to be honest with you. It came out in 1977, and this one is called Chatterbox. And <laughs> it is a comedy, a really cheap comedy, and it's about a woman who wakes up... Well, not even wakes up, she's sort of kind of getting on with this guy... They're done. She's starting to take a rest. And all of a sudden, her vagina starts talking. And, of course, hijinks ensue from that point on. So there's this chick who, you know, she, like, works as a hairdresser. She, the thing is, obviously, her chatterboxing, her chatterbox won't stop talking. And insults her boyfriend. He doesn't believe that's where it's coming from. He thinks, because they're kind of, you know, they're in the dark. He thinks she's just saying this shit. So he's insulted and he leaves. So next day she's at work and she works in a hair salon. The hair salon is run by Rip Taylor. <laughs> so you know if it's got Rip Taylor in it, this is this is only the highest brow of entertainment. So she's a hairdresser and she's all, you know, kind of nervous and uptight because of her incident the day the night before with her talking vagina, but it hasn't happened yet again. But it starts to kind of mutter words out here and there, you know, when she's has to do somebody's hair or whatever, or, or, you know, the thing is with about her chatter box is her chatter box is really horny <laughs> and wants to fuck everything. At some point, a closet lesbian comes in to get her hair done and she's, you know, like the sort of older, sophisticated woman where the top, as the as the main character is doing her hair, um, it starts hitting on the fucking lesbian, and it's just this fucking scene is so ridiculous. Aside to the fact this movie was so low budget, you could see the boom mics in the corners of the filming. That only added to its uh, veneer of trashiness. Apparently, this you know this lesbian decides, oh, we're gonna get it on right here, right now, and then. Um, you know, is into like, she rips her clothes off. She's got like this dominatrix shit on. And this, this girl with the talking vagina is completely like resistant. She's like, I'm no, 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 I'm not into that. And her fucking vagina won't shut up. Like, come on, let's go. Da, 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 you know, just before any action really ensues, Rip Taylor walks in and he just breaks it up <laughs> and proceeds to fire her for, I don't know, many things that apparently had, had, had gone on that, you know, because of her talking vagina gets her in trouble so she goes to see a therapist and the therapist doesn't believe her at first and then the, the, the thing just starts talking so of course this guy sees dollar signs and he becomes her agent because not just not only does her vagina talk it sings too and it sings really loud and she can't get this thing to shut up and it'll keep her up at night and it's just it's dying to be famous it's like it's almost like a a split personality or like a Siamese twin. I kind of in, in some ways thought of that film Stuck on You that had a, uh, uh, what the fuck is his name in it? Um, fucking guy from Goodwill Hunting. Um, fuck. The Born Identity guy. Whatever his fuck. Well, I can't, why can't I remember his fucking name? And it had him 
whoever the hell he is, Matt Damon, that's what it is, and um, Greg Kinnear, and they're like Siamese twins that are not identical at all, but they're just still attached. One wants to be a normal guy, and that's Matt Damon, and the other one wants to be a famous actor, and that's K- Greg Kinnear. So this relationship that this main character, I think her character's name, shit, I can't even remember. Penelope, that's what it was. She has her own personality and her vagina, who's somehow named Virginia. They have different, they have different um, goals in life here. So the psychiatrist introduces her ailment, I guess, to the American Medical Association panel of doctors and she just becomes this overnight sensation where she premieres on something that's it's some kind of fake show that was supposed to be like Johnny Carson or whatever and she you know they dressed her up kind of like Marilyn Monroe and then they pull up her trust and and the thing is you never actually I mean the woman is the main character this Penelope character she is nude almost like I'd say about more than halfway through the film but it's nothing like Grow, you know, it's, it's it's not like she's being titillating with it or anything. She wasn't like it wasn't like presented in a way that if she was nude, it was supposed to turn anybody on. <laughs> but every time that they'd have the vagina singing, it always had some kind of like ornate underwear. And <laughs> but you never actually saw her stuff. You maybe saw her bush like once, but you never saw. It. They, they, that's the thing that they they embellish on that they really could have. They could have came up with, I mean, it would have been actually even funnier if they had had, like, close-up shots of a really fake-looking, almost, like, hand-puppet vagina, like, singing. That would have fucking made this movie, like, I think that would have been fucking absolutely hilarious. But in general, this was kind of like a bad gag over and over again. I can't necessarily say I recommend it. I mean, only if you're looking to watch something so fucking stupid and trashy. There is some fucking stupid jokes in it that I did find myself laughing at, especially when the, um... (laughs) When the vagina starts singing this song that becomes a hit, it was like something I I love my wang-dang doodle, or it was just so over the fucking top. But it was so low budget they couldn't really do... I mean, this isn't a film that needs a high budget, but it could have been... Just like maybe it could have been more laugh out loud shit if they had just maybe another fucking, I don't know, $10,000 to work with to make like some prosthetics, you know, it just, it was just, just a ridiculous fucking movie. And (laughs) there is a, there is an ending to it where she does contemplate suicide and I'm not going to tell you if she does it or not, if you want to see this fucking ridiculous film apparently (laughs) it was from what i understand it was a remake of an actual pornographic french film but they turned they took the pornography out of it and just made it you know a fucking comedy because it's such a such a stupid plot premise but yet it's not stupid it's just it's just like trashy and funny but it really could have there's certain things they could have done more with and, and the thing is, they could have done more even within their trashy area to make it even more fucking lowbrow. And that's I think that's what its charm was, was how fucking lowbrow this shit was. Anyhow, came out 1977. It was less than... It was, I think, less than an hour and 20 minutes. I mean, it wasn't that long of a film. 
If you are looking for some mind-numbing entertainment and want to laugh at something that's... You're going to probably sit there throughout going, what the fuck is this? You're going to think, this. how is this ever fucking made? Well, trust me, this isn't the worst film I've ever seen. It's pretty bad, but at least it's got some amusing moments. So if you're if you're a purveyor of like trashy films that you don't take too seriously, this is this is a good one to check out. This one's also available on Amazon Prime. If you're as bored as fucking I am, stuck at home during COVID, watching these stupid movies is a good way to kill time. So check out Chatterbox. Like the last episode, I'm gonna play a band that begins with B that are fucking shitty and you know but this one unlike the last one this song may be this band may be fucking shitty but this fucking song I can't I, it's a fucking guilty pleasure by far this is definitely when, the, when they say the word guilty pleasure this is this couldn't fit that fucking mold better this is <laughs> Bang Tango with Someone Like You from their 1989 album, Psycho Cafe. <laughs> Again, here's the clip. Only a small clip I can play of Bang Tango's Someone Like You. Enjoy. To continue on with the focus of B, this next one I'm going to play is a group that, well, the only way I can describe it is they were kind of type of thing that what Millie Vanilli got pinched for at some point for not really being the real performers of the song. The band I'm going to showcase here is Boney M. They were really a producer named Frank Farian. It was like a studio project. And, uh, you know, he was playing, you can see he did the vocals, the guy vocals, that is. Um, initially, and I, I guess he continued that, but he eventually um, got the singers involved, which were Maisie Williams, Marsha Barrett, Liz Mitchell, and Bobby Farrell. Bobby Farrell was m- like miming what Frank Farian's voice was doing in the studio. And, you know, they were fucking huge, not in the United States, but, you know, huge elsewhere. But unfortunately, they. I guess I sort of, and I can't really say it caught up with them because it was never really, um, it, it wasn't like they got nominated for a fucking Grammy like Millie Vanilli did. Big difference is, is that, <laughs> well, unlike Millie Vanilli, this fucking Boney M were fucking awesome to listen to. There's no doubt about that. There's songs like Daddy Cool and, you know, Rivers of Babylon, Sunny. I find them very, it's like, I can't really say that they're like, they were like some great band. They, they were a fake great band. But God damn it, those fucking songs are catchy. I can't deny it. So the song I'm going to play is Rasputin, which how they pronounce it, Rasputin, from their Night Flight to Venus album from 1978. This is Boney M with Rasputin or Rasputin. Why doesn't R. Kelly want to catch COVID? Give up? Because 19 is too old for him. 
Okay, the last film I watched in this past week, this is completely different from the other two. It came out in 2017. Um, this movie was called England is Mine. And what it was was a British biographical film uh, and it's based on Morrissey. And we all, you know, anyone's listening probably knows who the fuck Morrissey is. And if you don't, well, I don't know what to tell you. Morrissey, in his early years before he ever formed the Smiths, back in like the, I'd say it was probably supposed to take place late 70s into the early 80s before, yeah, before the Smiths were ever a thing, it shows you what kind of person he was and how he ended up becoming a singer. And I know right now, Morrissey is not really a popular person to be a fan of. And to that, I don't give a fuck how you feel about Morrissey. I've been a fan of his since I was a teenager. Nothing's really changed. I don't give a shit about his, whatever his views are on things. He's entitled to fucking have them. He's got no position of power. I don't know why people fucking freak out like he's, like he's making rules or some shit. No, he's just fucking cranky. And he always has been. This is nothing new. And that's kind of another thing that this, this film heavily touches on is that he's clearly always been extremely manic depressive and in a way it almost showcases how he he's his his he's socially he's so socially inept that he really just cannot relate to other people and i don't think anything's changed for him and he definitely has a very i don't know his his i can relate to it to a degree because you know i always have fucking ways of thinking that other people think are just so fucking I don't know if they think it's unacceptable or they think it's just kind of like, oh, you're into, into shit I don't understand, so you must be a fucking weirdo. No, no, it's not even a fucking thing about being a weirdo. It's just more or less like, I just like different shit. Well, apparently Morrissey liked a lot of different shit too, and he liked to write about different shit. And this kind of um, shows his uh, early years when he used to write in sort of editorial letters to the New Music New Musical Express in the UK to try to... He definitely wanted to get into music journalism and writing more. I don't even know if it was just journalism he wanted to do, but he was definitely bound to be a writer. And he was very critical of the kind of shit that would come through Manchester, which from what it looked like was a lot of shit. He had kind of a reason to be picking at it because it was a lot of it was garbage because it didn't, it was before punk had really had hit. Not that punk was fucking full of massive talent because you know as well, you know that there's a lot of shit in punk that's fucking overrated crap that was ne- that should have never have been made into anything, but yet at the same time, some of that shit is what got people motivated to do something different. And that's the only thing I can give like punk credit for, honestly, because there really wasn't any fucking talent involved. It was more like just a way to kick people in the ass to like try something different than what they were expected to do, and or whatever if they were on if they wanted to be musicians or whatever they'd have to conform to some certain fucking formula and not that the formula was that bad because there's so many old bands that are fabulous but in the mid 70s I can see where it was getting pretty stagnant and while people like Morrissey were probably like just disenfranchised by just the lame fucking shit that was on the radio you know he was just trying to I don't know. He was trying to establish himself more as a writer, and that's kind of what where this focuses on, and focuses on how dysfunctional 
like socially dysfunctional he really is. And he does, um, the two things I did like about what it, what it showcased in this one was that it, it shows two friends of his that were really, really important early before he ever, they were very, they were very integral for him to ever get up on stage and have the balls to do what he, he eventually did. One of the characters, um, is this, uh, artist Linder Sterling, who became a friend of his almost kind of more like by accident. She knew he was the one that was writing into the NME and <laughs> kind of outed him. And he was, he was, you know, kind of scared of her at first. But the fact that they had, they had some common ground with their same tastes and literary knowledge. They were two kind of kindred spirits. And she really encouraged him because she was like more like a radical feminist artist that, you know, hung out with other musicians and stuff. And she was trying to get herself established, but she had... You know, she wasn't afraid to get herself established, but she was just like, kind of really like, you have the talent, do something with it. The other uh, development in the film that I was quite glad they focused on was um, how Billy Duffy uh, from The Cult, if anybody listens to The Cult, that's the you know, same Billy Duffy, that there is a uh, long history between Billy Duffy and Morrissey, if you didn't know that. I mean, I vaguely knew stuff about it, but... I mean, I know that's how... I, what I do know is how Morrissey and Johnny Marr would never even met each other unless Johnny Marr was friends with Billy Duffy. But it does focus more on how Morrissey knew Billy Duffy before he knew Johnny Marr and how they actually had formed a band together called the Nosebleeds and how Billy was actually also very integral to getting Morrissey enough... giving him enough, you know, a, band, a good band to back him up with to give him the courage to get on stage and start singing his profound lyrics because they were different. They were doing something different. Unfortunately, um, you know, Billy was trying to... Billy didn't... I wouldn't say Billy wronged Morrissey in any way, but I think because so, Morrissey was so fragile, it seemed like kind of like a betrayal, but I'm sure by now that's, you know, kind of water under the bridge. They didn't really have a falling out or anything. It just show, It just showed that, like... Somebody in the entertainment business saw that one show that they did, and it, w- and it was a show that was really, really well received. But the guy who was just basically a talent scout looking for another guitarist to, to place in another band, and Billy needed the work. I mean, it was kind of he, that was what he wanted to do. He wanted to be a guitarist, and he wasn't afraid of getting up on stage. So he went. He took a basically a job lead to go play with another band. Can't remember the name of the band, but it was something he did before the cult and. Um, it obviously wasn't successful because I'm not, not because I never heard of it. I just, it's not what he's known for. So obviously whatever happened that brought him from Manchester to London, at some point he formed the cult with Ian Astorbury. And that's, uh, in, I'm a fan of the cult. So I was like really glad to see kind of how Billy Duffy played into how, how, how Morrissey got basically the balls to get up on stage eventually. And how that's how fucking him and Johnny Marr met is because Johnny Marr was one of uh, Billy's friends who played guitar, and these two never would have ever met if it hasn't if it wasn't for Billy Duffy. So I did like how they made that an important part of this film, and you know, without without making him look like how, how so many people were so fucking arrogant when they're getting their bearings back then. And I can't even really say I mean what they showed of what Morrissey's early years were like I can't even say he was arrogant he was just so socially inept and I think he's never changed because he's 
from what they kind of portrayed in the film, which I don't know how accurate it was, but it was actually a very well done biopic film. And whoever the actor was, I think he was reading his name was Jack Loud. Really good looking guy. Wasn't certainly wasn't bad to watch throughout a film. So I I found the film definitely intriguing. And as a fan of Morrissey, not that I'm like crazy diehard. I I'm definitely a longtime fan. Love you know, like the Smiths and his solo stuff kind of equally. I mean, some people were like, nah, I only like his Smith stuff. I don't like his solo. I don't give a shit. You know, I listen to whatever the fuck I, I want to listen to. And Morrissey happens to be, you know, my husband's like favorite. So, of course, it was, it was a movie that was going to be of interest to both of us. The funny part is, is that my husband didn't even know this movie existed. I found it more or less by accident because I was looking through, for, I was looking for more films to watch. And I was looking at Canopy, which we get for free through our library. So this one wasn't available on Amazon Prime. So... If you happen to have a, a streaming device and a library card, check out to see if your local library has some free streaming services because currently we get Canopy and uh, Hoopla for free films and some TV shows. And it's a lot like, you know, Netflix or Amazon Prime, but you don't have to pay for it. That's the nice part. So yeah, I found this one within Canopy and... I was, I didn't even know it existed. I didn't know there was a film that was made about Morrissey in the early years. It was made in 2017. It's obviously still fairly, fairly recent. But I think the reason why I didn't hear anything about it is because all this other fucking shit in the media is about Morrissey saying, you know, whatever his remark is about something, which was probably fucking taken completely out of context and puked back up onto some kind of journalists wet dream of trying to like fucking twist this guy's words around just so they have a compelling read i think this this film was like overshadowed by any other controversial remarks that morrissey has become known for in the later later years because everything's become fucking political you know but if you are still a morrissey fan or even have the interest in knowing about his early years this is a fucking good film i thought it was you know because it doesn't doesn't go into the history of the Smiths. It goes into why this fucking guy is as neurotic as he is, <laughs> basically. And how he got the balls to finally get up on stage and be the original singer, performer, writer that he is. And yeah, there really is no one like Morrissey. So if you enjoy him, you probably enjoy this film. So that wraps up the third film I watched <laughs> in the past week. If you want to see more about it, go do your own research. The movie was called England is Mine. And as much as I enjoyed England is Mine, um, I feel like I need to... This is about as political as I'm going to get on this fucking show because I'm so fucking sick of this shit. Like I was saying, a lot of um, what's been going on in Morrissey's later career has been overshadowed by fucking the politically correct police um, basically ripping up, ripping apart anything the guy fucking says and adding shit in between the lines. And it's just like, everyone's so fucking on edge right now. And I don't even know, even if there is an election and whoever the fucking, whoever our new turd fucking ruler is going to be, the shit's still going to be fucking volatile. 
But to show, but I saw something this past week, nothing on the fucking news, but to, to kind of hone in on the volatility. But at least this was actually pretty fucking funny for once. Uh, Jim and I were driving uh, to go go to Big Lots because we're such big spenders. We're driving down the street. We saw, you know, kind of one fucking yard after the next that had a, had a different political sign in it. You know, and it's like, what better way to show that you hate your fucking neighbors than to show, to, to put up your, the political opposition of whatever, whoever the fuck you're living right next door to. It's almost like, yeah, well, here's what, it's like a pissing contest. And it's just so fucking, it's so, it's so immature. Not even like, it, it's actually quite pathetic. And who the fuck, who the fuck is really moved by a political sign to go, oh, well, because so and so on my block is a Biden or a Trump supporter, yeah, I think I'm going to change my mind, or yeah, I'm going to swing in that direction because because so and so influenced me. It never works that way. So I don't get the whole political sign thing. But what I did see, <laughs> now this was fucking funny. In the midst of all these freaking signs on and every every yard in the street. I wish I got a picture of this, but we were going by too fast. There's no way I would have been able to capture it. I saw a yard that had both fucking Biden and Trump signs in it. Now, what better way to, to show how ridiculous, first of all, this fucking re- election is going to be anyway, and how ridiculous the neighborhood's being. And it's just, I was like, I don't know if, the, I don't know what their intention was behind it totally, but I still found it fucking funny that someone... <laughs> Had the balls to make a mockery of the of the two of the two opposing sides by putting them both in the yard. I just thought that was fucking hilarious. And whoever did that, you know, fucking right on, man. But enough about politics. I cannot fucking stand politics. We'll move on to something else that I'd rather talk about. All right, the last B I'm going to focus on, and I'm going to break the fucking rules here, too. I'm not going to use the shit from fucking Spotify, because I'm getting towards the end of the show anyway. And I'm sorry, this fucking song, in order to appreciate its genius, you have to listen to the whole fucking thing. Because the story, the lyrics, the music, every fucking thing in it is just the shit. And unfortunately, the creator of the song is no longer with us. And he was somebody who I greatly admired because, you know, people may think that, oh, writing comedy in in songs is is easy. No, it's fucking not. Because you actually have to be funny with it. And he was as funny as it fucking got. I often refer to him as the Richard Pryor of music. So this, I'm going to end the focus on B in this podcast not broadcast is going to be blowfly and i'm sorry i I gotta break the rules here i gotta play the whole fucking song this song comes from his 1980 rapping dancing and laughing album this is the incredible falk and you will fucking realize how incredible it is by the time you get to the end of it so here it is blowfly aka clarence reed the fucking man this is the incredible falk I am the result of an experiment that went wrong. Whenever a chick would call me a bastard while we were fucking, my dick would become four feet long. Yeah. 
was a scientist who experiments was very odd. He dreamed of creating a formula that would make men dick stay hard. He advertised in a paper for some lucky guy who needed a gig. So I went to apply for the motherfucking job, not knowing I would be a guinea pig. He said, just stay calm. I promise you, you won't get hurt. I've tried this shit on frogs and hogs, and I tell you, goddammit, it works. He said, you see this shit here in this needle? It's gonna change your whole motherfucking life. He said, when I get through with that prick of yours, I'm gonna let you try it out on my wife. Yeah. I said, The legs and said, Boy, come on in. But when I pulled my dick out, the hoe began to grin. <laughs> she said, Degrade myself with something like that? Huh, not me. She said, You may not believe this, but I seen bigger pricks on a plate. And that made me mad. Yeah. So I clammed up on top of this bitch and I put my dick into the hilt. Just lay back and get ready, bitch, while I give you some of my feels. The cunt on this bitch was so fucking big, I swear I was like fucking out of space. And after I put my dick in this bitch, I think I was up to my ways. I said, help somebody! She said, fucking something like this, I tell you, it's a disaster. Then the bitch wrapped the legs around my waist and said, fuck me, you fucking bastard! Suddenly something strange began to happen to me as my prick began to rise. It grew and it grew and it grew and it grew to 80 times the size. She started to scream as I shot a load in her as her pussy broke up like glass. It came out of mouth and her eyes and her nose and out of the crack of her ass. She hollered and screamed and screamed and hollered as she began to shit. But this four feet ten inch prick of mine had tore her pussy to bits. Yeah, the incredible fuck is what I will be. 
talking about minerals and protein. Man, my dick was full. So I went on and entered the contest, not knowing I had to compete against a bull. There was also a dinosaur, a hippopotamus, and a gorilla. And just when I thought that I had it made, I looked around and there was Godzilla. Uh, uh, uh. I started to get scared. My knees started shaking. Yeah. The jury was a redneck. He said, all this motherfucking shit I master. He said, drop your pants and show that prick of yours, you nigger bastard. And he shouldn't have did that goddamn shit. Suddenly horns grew out on my head. A devil tail grew out behind. My eyes crossed all up and shit. Train smoke started coming out my nose. And that prick of mine started to rise. And rise. Fucking love. 
Well, you've made it to the end of the show, and I'm surprised there was a second show. I'm surprised I had enough fucking content to make a second show with, given the very tight restrictions I have to work with. Of course, I just cheated on that last segment, but come on, you knew that once you've heard that fucking song, you know damn well what I'm talking about. It had to be here. It had to be heard from beginning to the end. And yeah, I'm doing commentary on this because there, I have never heard parody done as well as what Clarence Reed was capable of. I am, I feel pretty blessed. I hate the term blessed, but that's how I feel that I ever got to see him perform live at all. Shitty fucking venue, but great performance. But we are at the end of the show. And before I sign off here completely, I'm going to reiterate something. Since none of you fucking did not leave me a message, as I requested throughout... And look, I know how many people listened to my show last week. Or last episode, I should say. I know there was quite... There was actually a good amount. I was actually surprised. After time sort of passed, I was actually surprised how many actually listened. So where the, what the fuck? Why didn't any of you guys leave me a message? Are you that fucking chicken shit? If that's the case, then there's not going to be any further episodes. That's just kind of it. I can't just be coming up pulling shit out of my ass just to fucking entertain you guys. I'm not making any money on this. And it does take, a, it does take time. And I got to fucking do this in between migraine pains. And migraines are fucking serious for me as I, I wouldn't have named the show after that. Between the toilet and the fucking head pain, I'm not kidding. So, if you want me to continue with the show, you gotta leave me a fucking message. Go to anchor.fm slash You'll see the button on the page that says message. Or you can go to our Facebook page and hit the contact us button. It'll take you directly to leaving us a message. Not us, me. Because obviously I'm only a fucking one man, one woman show here. And uh, that's pretty much it for this week. Oh, and one more, one more thing. We are now available more than just on Anchor. We are on Apple Podcasts, we're on Spotify, we're on Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, some other one I can't remember. But yeah, hopefully you tune in again. Hopefully I'll hear your voices for next week's, uh, next week. I'm not going to do this week to week. I'm going to do this when I have the fucking time. Hopefully I have something to add from the listeners to the next podcast. If I don't have anything, the next podcast... I might not even fucking do it, or I might just wrap it up on the third episode and call it a fucking day. It's up to you, shitheads. But thanks for listening.